Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. Many times we can fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine, but there is so much more to the purpose of Jesus for us to understand. Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at statements that Jesus himself said about his mission while he was here on earth. Our lives can be different because of Jesus. Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. So glad to have you worshiping with us wherever you are. Hey, we would love to extend some hospitality to you. We'd like to say hello. I promise you it's a no-hassle guarantee. No one's coming to your door, but we would love to know you're here. Whatever platform you're using, if you would, just take a moment, click the link, and, and fill out a connection card. Say hello to us. We'll say hello back to you. Also, one more thing, I want to remind you uh, that we're going to be doing lobby parties right after the services today, and the lobby is my Instagram page. So right after the service, go to my Instagram page, and I'll be there just talking with you and some other staff and just hanging out, having conversations, and doing the best we can to connect virtually in this world with COVID-19 right now. So hey, as we get started today, everybody, I want to let you know we're in a series we've been doing. This series is called Because of Jesus. You see, when Jesus came to the earth, he actually made many different statements about what he was coming to do during his time on the earth. Scripture also says some other things about Jesus and what he came to do. The bottom line is this. Our very lives and the world we live in should be different all because of Jesus. So if you've missed any part of this series, I want to encourage you to go back to our website or on our app. You can catch up anything that you've missed. It's all there. Uh, For my wife and I, during this COVID-19 crisis, we found ourselves watching the news a little more regularly than we do. And, well, the reason that I don't regularly watch the news is because I've gotten to a point I hate it. Uh, But that's a big change for me because there was a time in my life where every day I felt I really needed to watch the news. It was my favorite thing to do on a lunch break when I used to teach school to, to go and find a place away from the kids and away from the noise and to get in touch with what was going on in the world because I had a classroom with no windows. Who knew what was going on out there? And I loved that. I loved always knowing about what was happening. What is the information I need? What are the events that are taking place? But what I have seen happen over the years is when I watch news, no matter what news outlet you're talking about, it doesn't seem to tell you the much information or the events that are taking place. It seems to talk more about their opinions of what is happening or their commentaries on who did what. And uh, the truth is, I've just noticed that no matter what I'm looking at, it is so divided and there's so much rhetoric and fight and back and forth. And I, I just got to a point where I said, I don't want to watch that anymore. But because of the COVID-19 crisis and wanting to know what is happening in other parts of the world, and the one thing we all want to know, which is like, when is this going to end? When is life going to return to some form of what it was before? And so we find ourselves watching the news a little more often. And so just the other day, I was watching some of the back and forth and the fight and the argument, and I thought to myself, have we ever been as divided as we are now. It seems like we are so polarized. This has got to be a unique time in our history. Uh, But I wanted to actually find out if that was true. So I took a moment, I thought about it, and, and then later I was actually reading a book, and it reminded me of something. It was talking about the civil rights movement, and I realized, sadly, 
this is not the most polarized we've ever been. Actually, this book was talking about how buses were set on fire with people in them. Bricks were thrown through windows. and Bombs were set off in lobbies of, of hotels and businesses with the intent to hurt someone. And at the time where you hoped there would be a, a person of justice to help you, quite often the people who were supposed to bring justice were on one side or the other. And it was an incredibly divided time. I was thinking about how for uh, my uh, last 20 years or so, uh, we've been at war somewhere in the world, and, and there are a lot of people that don't agree with whether we should be at war politically, and yet we still haven't gotten to the level we were at during the Vietnam War, which was when a soldier was seen in uniform, people would spit upon them all because they didn't like the political stance to be at that war. And then I guess the best example of all that came to my mind was the Civil War. I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric flying around right now, but at least we have it divided into two countries again and killed half a million of our brothers and cousins. And that reminds me, no, this is not the most polarized we've ever been. Now, you may say, why are you talking about that, Jimmy, right now? And, well, again, we're doing a series called Because of Jesus. And Jesus was absolutely one of the most polarizing people to ever walk the earth. Matter of fact, when he had crowds gathered around him to, to be at his feet, to listen to his every word, hanging on to his every teaching and reaching out, just hoping to touch him so that they could be healed, at the very same time, someone else was plotting his murder and eventually succeeded at that. And so the real question that hit me at that moment is, how can someone who was so polarizing then be so loved now? I don't know if you realize this, but it, it wasn't always like it is now. The truth is, uh, Christians, over two billion of us around the world uh, who claim to be Christians, we love Jesus. We love the idea of Jesus. We worship Jesus and, and would proclaim that. But even out of the other five billion people on the earth, those who would not say that Jesus is their king, well, many of them still actually like him. Uh, they say that he's a, a good man, a, a kind person, a wise teacher, and he's at least seen in a positive light. So how does someone who was so polarizing go to being seen in such a positive light by so many people? And actually, the real question for us, the, the reason that that all ties into our series is if we're supposed to be different because of Jesus, how can we be Jesus followers and bring something to a polarized world when our very being as Christians standing for something that is right and or wrong causes some of that back and forth. It, it's such a dilemma for us. And so that's what I think we, we should take a look at because once again, there is an answer and the answer comes out of his very being. And so I want to show you this statement that was made about Jesus in the book of John. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, because of Jesus, we live in grace and truth. But then 
we have to ask, well, what does that mean tangibly? Practically, what does it mean to live in grace and truth? And if I could just do a quick nerd moment, I think it's going to help us understand how these two go together a little bit. It actually begins with the first part of that saying that said, and the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Well, we have a big church word uh, that we use here called incarnation, and it's talking about how God came in the flesh. This is when God revealed himself. Again, uh, if we could go back to the beginning, you've got to remember what this was like. You've got God in heaven, and then you've got mankind on earth, and they don't know anything about who God is. Uh, so God has got to reveal himself to his creation. He begins to do this through uh, interactions with people, and those stories get written down, and that becomes part of our scripture. And, and But there was one point where God speaks and says, look, I want to tell you something about me. I want you to know who I am. And this was pretty early on for you and me. It shows up in what is the second book of the Bible. Well, the book of Exodus. And here's what he says. He says, look, I am the Lord, the Lord. And I just want to stop right there because maybe you've read your Bible and you've wondered, why is the word Lord sometimes in all caps? And if you ever see the word Lord in all caps in your Bible, it's actually referring to his name. It stands for Yahweh. Uh, but the, the Jews were actually had such, they had such a great reverence for God, they didn't even want to use his name. They, they didn't feel they had the right to call him by his name, so they would just say the name in place of his name, Yahweh. But he's revealing himself, and he's giving himself this name and then explaining himself. So he says, look, I am Yahweh, Yahweh. I am a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, and then he says something really important to define himself, and I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm abounding in steadfast love, I'm abounding in faithfulness. Most scholars agree that this phrase saying that Jesus came in grace and truth is actually, in the original language, is pointing back to what God said about himself right here. You see, you and I, we read the Bible in English. We don't read it in the original language like Greek or Hebrew, so we don't understand the insinuations that happened there. But, but this phrase about Jesus coming in grace and truth was pointing back to where God said, I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, why is that? Well, because steadfast love is a demonstration of his grace. We define God's grace as unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to merit this, but his favor, he just pours out his goodness in my life. Why would you ever do something for someone they didn't deserve? Why would you pour out favor upon a person who doesn't deserve it? Because you love them. It's God's steadfast love that demonstrates grace. And faithfulness means that he is trustworthy. He is true to who he is. He's true to his promises. And because his nature is truth, you can trust him. So abounding in steadfast love is grace. Abounding in faithfulness is truth. And that's why his next sentence says, look, forgiving sin, this is who I am. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Wait a minute, God, so you'll forgive sin? Yep, that's my grace. But you're going to hold us accountable to right and wrong? Yep, that's my truth, grace and truth. So it turns out grace and truth is actually the fulfillment of who God is displayed in Jesus. You know, a lot of times we have this idea 
that Jesus was like this really cool hippie, right? Because, you know, if you ever see a picture of him, he's got like long hair and a beard, and he's kind of like, you know, supposed to be cool and laid back, like, yo, bro, I'm just here to show you love to the what kind of thing. Uh, look, I'm not a hippie. I don't know. Just all the hippie movies I've seen, that's how they talk, so you have to forgive me for that. But uh, we get the idea. Jesus is like just some nice hippie, and he just wants to say, I just came in grace and truth, and like he's making this up. He's not making it up. This is not Jesus just saying, this is who I want to be. This is Jesus being a revelation of the Father to you and me. This is God in the flesh, full of grace and truth, abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness. And so the result of that is that you and I, we live in grace and truth because it's the very nature of our God. Except this is the very problem we have. This is our greatest struggle. Again, if we go back to that passage, it says that Jesus is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. You see, our problem with grace and truth is we, we do either or. We don't know how to do both. We don't know how to be full of both. We think, wait a minute, how can he be full of grace and full of truth? He's, if he's full of something, he's got to be half grace and half truth. And, and let me just give you this, this idea of like a cookie jar. See, we think when you reach into a cookie jar, if there's two different things in there, that's got to be like half of one cookie, half of another cookie. So, so like it's, it's half chocolate chip cookies and it's half oatmeal cookies. And I don't understand why anybody would do that in the first place. Oatmeal. Why, why do you make cookies out of oatmeal? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Who wants to eat oatmeal and try to turn that into like a, a sweet treat of some sort? Matter of fact, my idea of cookie is you only need enough of the cookie to hold the chocolate together. It's all about the chocolate. That's why chocolate is first. Notice chocolate chip cookie. Uh, it, it, so here's the thing. Now look, I realize some of you want to object. And, and when I was sharing my notes with some of the staff, my personal assistant wanted to object. She loves oatmeal cookies, and that makes my point. Some of us are grace people. Some of us are truth people. Some of us lean towards grace. Some of us lean towards truth. None of us are perfectly in the middle naturally. None of us perfectly display fullness of grace and truth. We don't know what it's like to reach into a cookie jar and pull out a chocolate chip oatmeal cookie, but that's the way it works for Jesus. He is full of both all the time, demonstrating the nature of the Father to us. You see, we don't see them working together. For us, it's always one has to override the other because we naturally lean one way or the other, right? Like, okay, let me just talk to you a minute. All, all of the, the, the kids or students, uh, anybody who is living at home with a, a thing called a parent, right? As a matter of fact, even the parents can jump in on this because at one point you lived at home with a person called a parent, right? And when you were a, a teenager, a student, a kid, whatever you want to call yourself right now, you, you at one point got in trouble. And every one of us, when we got in trouble, we had the parent we wanted to deal with us. And we had the parent we didn't want to deal with us. Come on, how many of you grew up hearing the phrase, you just wait till your daddy gets home, right? Come on, that, that was my house. Okay, I get it. Some of you, though, you were in the house with like, you just wait till I tell your mama what you did. You, some of us were scared of mama. Some of us were scared of daddy. I was in the house that said, you just wait till your daddy gets home because my mom, she leaned towards grace. My dad, he leaned towards truth. There was right, there was wrong, there was no way around it. He wanted to make sure you didn't cross that line the very next time. The only hope and prayer I had in my house was that my grace-oriented mama would forget 
or just be more graceful by the time my daddy got home. It was those days where she said, you just wait till your daddy gets home. I thought, please, God, let him work really, really late, and I'll be in bed, and tomorrow I'll go to school, and maybe by three days from now, it'll all, we, we all had that one parent, and we're those people. We lean towards grace, or we lean towards truth. And we, we just don't know how to do both. Matter of fact, let me show you kind of how we do the two. We, we separate them. We do truth without grace. And we do truth without grace. We actually have a knowledge of right and wrong. The problem is that knowledge of right and wrong tends to lead toward condemnation. But on the other hand, if you have grace without truth, it, it means that you kind of overlook the right and wrong. And when you overlook the right and wrong, it tends to lead towards deception. This is important. Truth sets us free from deception, whereas grace sets us free from condemnation. You guys get that? Truth sets us free from deception. Grace sets us free from condemnation. And here's why that's so important. None of us need deception or condemnation in our lives. That's why we can't have just grace. We can't have just truth. We've got to have grace and truth because it is grace and truth together that keeps deception and condemnation out of our lives. Here's another example for you. Truth without grace gives us permission to just be a jerk or self-righteous. I mean, come on. How many of you have had that story where somebody comes up to you and they say something and then they try to claim it's truth? They're like, what are you wearing? That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Man, only a fool would go out dressed like that. Oh, hey, don't get mad at me, man. The truth will set you free. <laughs> hey, look, let me just tell you something. That is so wrong, right? You're trying to quote scripture. The truth will set you free. And you're only quoting half the verse. You're taking it out of context. Look, I want to say something to anybody who is using that phrase, anybody who's trying to do that. Stop it. You just stop it. I talked to Jesus about it this morning. I promise you, he says, stop it. Because matter of fact, he said it, and he was talking about himself. And he says, stop it. So no more of that. Anybody who's doing that, truth shall set you free after you say something mean stuff. Don't do that. Look, I had a, a friend of mine, at least uh, I would have called him a friend, supposed friend of mine, came up to me on the day that I became the pastor of this church. I used to be the associate pastor. And uh, when I became the pastor, he came to me in the lobby with his wife beside him and said, we want to let you know that today will be our last day here. The preaching was bad enough with the other guy, but with you, it's just totally intolerable. And, and he said it like he was saying something nice to me. That was his idea of truth. I'm not even going to agree it was truth, but it was his idea of truth and absolutely no grace. <laughs> the funny thing is, we moved into this big, pretty new building about a year and a half ago, and, and, and he started coming back for a little while. He wanted to see the building, see what was in it. Maybe, I guess he wanted to give things a try because he stuck around for like two months or something. But then eventually, I guess the preaching went out again, and he just disappeared and never came back. At least this time, he tried to give me his idea of grace. I don't know. I guess that's what that was. So truth without grace gives us permission to be a jerk. Grace without truth gives us permission to not answer for our actions. Now look, some of you go, I, I'm not that kind of person. I would never do that. I, I'm here to tell you, I think every one of us has done that. Every one of us. At, at some point, you have been pulled over by a police officer. You were either speeding, uh, you ran a red light, or you just rolled through the stop sign and thought that was close enough to a stop. And, and while the police officer is walking from their car to your car, you are sitting there going, oh God, please don't let me get a ticket. You know that you did something that was not right, but you're hoping to not be held accountable for it. We all like the idea of grace without truth when we have actually done something wrong. This one's important. Don't miss this one. Truth calls us to stand for something. 
Grace calls us to love someone. You guys hear that? Truth calls us to stand for something. Grace calls us to love someone. And that really is the, the biggest struggle that I think that we have as Jesus followers. You see, we have to figure out how to stand for what he teaches and what he says, but at the same time, loving the world and reaching the world, not angering the world. We have to live in both. We have to live in grace. We have to live in truth. And to do that together, it means that, first of all, we must actually take a stand for truth. And this is really hard to do because, again, our world is very polarized today. And there's a lot of, of rhetoric flying back and forth, a lot of remarks. There's a lot of social media rants that are they're anonymous, but we know they're about you or me or a group of people or, or back and forth. And, and so you just know that's out there. And what happens is they say, well, you know, maybe if you believe that, you're intolerable. And then the other side fires back, well, maybe you believe that you're this or you're that. And, and no. None of us want to be known as, as the mean person. None of us in our day of being politically correct wants to be called intolerable. None of us want to go there. But what you have to know is that we're called to take a stand for truth. There, there is a definitive truth. This is, this is who Jesus is. He came to be the fulfillment of the word. Again, right? he is the word made flesh. He is everything that God has ever said about his nature. Everything that God has ever wanted for mankind. He is the fulfillment of that in the flesh. And so there is a right, there is a wrong, and being a Jesus follower actually defines for us our truth. It's not something we get to make up. This is not for you and me to go, well, I think this or I think that. Our truth has been completely determined for us, and we have to, to take a stand for that. And we have to accept the fact that at some point, we have to be honest. Look, if you just want everyone to be happy with everything you say, then you can't stand for anything. Because no matter what you stand for, somebody will not like what you stand for. There, there's a very simple truth, and I don't know if you've, you've uh, kind of grasped this reality yet, but I think it will help you. We're all intolerant. Every side of every spectrum, every side of every argument, we're all intolerant. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. We all have a definition by which we say, that's unacceptable to me. That's not something I would agree with. That's not something I would do. That's not something I would allow. And, and just to give you an example, I'm going to give you an extreme example that I think every person watching can agree with. If we were watching the news and we heard about a general in a, a country somewhere else in the world was committing mass murder of innocent children, I hope that very thought would anger you. I hope that everyone watching would say that's deplorable, it's despicable, let's hold that person accountable, let's not allow that. Well, then that means that there is something that we're not tolerant toward. There is something that we just say is not acceptable. And so the truth is, every single person has some of those. We all have them. So we have to realize that there, there's always going to be statements made when you stand for anything. Now look, at this moment, I realize some of you, your blood pressure is going up a little bit because you're mad about those people who, who are always trying to stand for truth and they're just being those jerks that I was talking about earlier. And some of you are getting excited going, yes, pastor, preach it. Give me permission to put on any Facebook anything I want. And give me permission to just go out there and say what needs to be said. No, 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 because that was the truth part. We do need to take a stand for truth but we have to do it in grace. So bring your blood pressure back down and, and the others of you stop getting your, your rants ready to go because that's not how it works. See, here's how it works. While 
we were enemies of God. While we were sinners. While we were opposed to any and probably every form of his truth. Jesus died for us. That's what the Bible says. While we were sinners, while we were opposed to God, he sent his son to die for us. While we didn't agree with his truth, he was willing in love to show us grace. And that's what we're called to do because of Jesus, is to put grace and truth together. And we do need to stand for truth, but we've got to do it in a way that brings grace to this world. This world doesn't need any more division, any more polarization. Matter of fact, I think separating grace and truth is one of the very reasons that our world is so polarized. And, and it's not just Christians that separate what they say and, and how to say it in love. Everybody is honestly at some point kind of taking their turn at doing that and creating the great division. But because of Jesus and because of the problem that we see, we must live in grace and truth, not one or the other. You guys, are you with me? We must live in grace and truth. We must give grace and truth, not one or the other. And what that means is we must embrace both personally and give both equally. We have to receive them in our own lives. We must take it in personally, but we must give both equally to everyone else in the world. And the question is, is it possible to do that? Yes, yes, it is possible, but it's hard. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, this, this is one of the hardest things to do because, again, we naturally lean one way or the other. Some of us are the natural grace people. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. God forgives everything. Others are like, hey, how dare you do that? Come on, don't you know what we should be doing and what we should start? We, we all lean one way or the other towards grace or truth. No one naturally stands right in the middle. And I wanted you to have a, a memorable, incredibly practical illustration of how to, to balance between the two of these. And as I was thinking about how can I do that, well, the word balance came to mind. And so I, I wanted to share a video with you that I think will, will help you. Uh, most of you may not know this about me, but I've actually taken a little bit of, of time in my life to do some tightrope walking. I uh, did a little bit of tour with the, the Walendas at one point. And so uh, uh, this is a video of me uh, doing a death-defying tightrope walk that I think is going to help you check out this video. It's moving, Dad. I'm not going to give it a... Come on, y'all. That was just funny now, wasn't it? Okay, truth be told, no, I was not one of the Walendas. Never. And uh, I, I never could qualify because I'm going to tell you another truth about me. I am deathly afraid of heights. I would never tightrope walk unless it was just six inches off the ground. But I still think it's a, a perfect illustration of what we have to do because if you are tightrope walking, you have to pay attention at every single moment. At any moment you aren't paying attention, you're going to fall to one side or the other. Matter of fact, maybe the better word is tension. There is always a tension in your, your thoughts and in your body about what you're doing in order to make sure that you're where you need to be and that you're saying what you need to say. Otherwise, we're naturally going to just go towards our truth side. We're going to go towards our grace side. But the good news is 
there's actually help for us. There's something that makes this easier. See, my assistant here is going to help me out, but if you've ever seen a tightrope walker, they have something that helps them. It's the, the pole that they use to balance with, and, and what happens is as they start to lean one way, it brings them back. If they lean another way, it brings them back again, and it helps them stay where they need to stay and, and to stay with their attention and their focus in the right place. And, and you know what our helper is? You know who our helper is? the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Jesus told us that his very spirit would dwell inside of everyone who called upon him as Lord and Savior. He even said that his spirit would tell us what to say. So when we get to those times where we don't want to pay attention, we don't want to worry about the tension of trying to get grace and truth right, and we just want to rant with our emotions, we just want to blast somebody on Facebook, or we just want to say, who cares? I don't want to care about that. We need to just stop and take a moment before you send that rant, before you express what you're thinking and say, Holy Spirit, help me pay attention to what I say, to how I say it, and to how I treat people. You see, because we have a helper, we have someone that is going to help us display the fullness of grace and truth. You see, we must have grace and truth, not either or. We must live in grace and truth. We must give in grace and truth. And the truth is, there's a struggle for each of us. Every one of us. There is no one who naturally does grace and truth in their fullness together. Maybe for you, your struggle is actually in accepting grace. You know that you're forgiven. You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And yet you wake up every day feeling like you're not good enough and God's just not quite happy with you. And the condemnation of the enemy is very, very loud in your head. Maybe you struggle to accept a truth. You know, as a pastor, unfortunately, one of the things I see a lot is that people make choices for their lives. And as they're making those choices, they quite often know that the choice they're making disagrees with God's word. It disagrees with God's truth. It disagrees with what God wants for them. And I hear them explain, well, you know, hey, look, first of all, I just don't really care. God will just have to deal with it. And look, I, it is as much love as I can just say to you. I think one of the most dangerous things we can ever say is God will just have to deal with it. If there is a God, just take a moment and think about what that means. If there is a greater being who rules the universe and determines our future, then just telling him he's got to deal with it is, is probably not the best way to go, especially when he's a God of so much grace and love. There's got to be a better response, which is why many people will, will say then, well, God will forgive me. And that's likely true. God does forgive our sins, but he forgives when we violate his truth out of his grace. How can we voluntarily, knowingly, willfully trample one part of his nature and defend it by claiming another part of his nature. Maybe for you, the struggle is, is simply in sharing truth in grace. Some of us are really good at telling people what we think and what's right or wrong with them, but we don't do it in a way that speaks love. Actually, the Bible uh, tells us that we speak the truth in love, and when we do that, we become more like Christ. It turns out this is the only way we're supposed to speak truth, is in love, because that makes us more like Christ every time we speak the truth in love. 
See, here's the, the actual truth about this. The only way that you can speak truth without love is when you have more regard for what you're saying than the person you're saying it to. And if we have no regard for the person that we're saying it to, and we just want to get our opinion out there, we probably should just stop talking. Because I'm not sure that we're doing anybody any good at that point. So look, here's my challenge for us this week. My challenge is, is, is identify your struggle. Do you struggle to receive grace from God and other people? Do you struggle to identify God's truth and say, yes, God, I will live by your truth? Do you struggle to give grace to others when you attempt to give them truth? Or maybe you struggle to give truth and instead you just want to say, oh, it's good, I'm not too worried about it, you know, that's God's problem. But God has called us to be just like his son. Because of Jesus, we live in grace and truth. And if we live in grace and truth, then maybe our world can begin to experience the two of them together in a lot less division, in a lot less polarization. We're called to live in grace and truth because of Jesus. We give grace and truth, not one or the other. Before I close the day, I want to take a moment. I want to talk to those of you that have never made Jesus your king. That's my language that I, I like to use the most. Some of you may prefer the language of making Jesus your, your Savior, your Lord and Savior, and, and either one is fine. This is the perfect time to talk about truth and grace. You see, here's truth. Truth is, God is perfectly holy. And you and I, we're not. We never could be on our own. None of us will ever be able to wipe away our imperfect thoughts, our, our sinful actions, the unholiness in our lives. We'll never be able to deal with that on our own. The truth is that left to ourselves, you and me on our own, will have to pay for our unholiness with eternal judgment. But that truth is accompanied by grace. And the grace is that God loves you so much that because of that truth, that you can't do anything for yourself, he sent his son to do it for you. And if maybe you've wondered, how does that actually work? I hear preachers say it all the time. How does it work? Here's the way it works. God requires that blood be used to pay for sin. Death pays for sin. You and I, if we were to die, the reason that we would have eternal judgment is because our blood would pay for our sin. So he sent his son, who was holy, who lived a perfect life, so that when he died and his blood was shed, his blood could pay for our sins. And that's exactly what happened. And the Bible tells us that all who trust in him, all who reach out and say, Jesus, thank you that your blood was for me. His blood is credited to our sins and his righteousness is credited to our names. And when God looks at us, he sees his son. And because of that, because of his grace, you and I can have eternal fellowship, eternal life with our God in heaven. And for those of you that have never had that interaction, where you, you see time compressed, 2,000 years go by, and you look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, thank you for dying for me. I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you're seated, wherever you're on your knees, if you're in a living room, wherever you're watching this right now, I want to help you begin a conversation with Jesus as your king. Just say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. 
I thank you that your blood was shed for me. And so now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me and I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer right now is that you will fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Amen, everybody. Thank you so much again for worshiping with us. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.